God is not subtle. God knows how to make a big impression. Today's transfiguration story is a reminder of that, that when the disciples needed to have a powerful moment, God delivers. Where Jesus becomes transfigured, his appearance transformed into dazzlingly white, and he, there he is with Moses and Elijah, these sort of pillars of the Jewish faith and tradition. And then the voice from God, the cloud overshadowed them, and the voice from God, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Nothing real subtle about that. An important message, and I was thinking about how if this transfiguration story were to happen today, how would it happen? And of course, today is Super Bowl Sunday, also Transfiguration Day, and I was thinking about uh, all of you who are watching the game, you know, people all over the world will be watching. Some of them will be watching because they care about football. Some of you will just watch because you want to see the commercials. And I had this idea. I think I'm going to send it in if the transfiguration ever comes on Super Bowl Sunday again. It's the Jesus Super Bowl ad. He shows up, and all of a sudden, he's in his robes, and he becomes dazzlingly white. And then it says, is it a miracle or a Clorox? <laughs> Takes a while. Takes a while. So that kind of grand moment is something we see not only in the Old Testament, New Testament, but really throughout uh, human history of how God shows up in our life in powerful ways, and God is revealed and in the Gospel of Mark, the transfiguration story itself plays really a central role. It's placed right in the middle, chapter 9, and it's integral in telling the story of how God's nature and Jesus' identity is revealed to the disciples, to the crowds, uh, in, in these powerful ways. So again, we hear the transfiguration story. Jesus becomes dazzlingly white. The disciples are there to witness and then they hear the voice from God, this is my son, listen to him. Or if you go back, uh, so this is one of three of these kind of moments in the gospel of Mark's telling. The first is at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is baptized, he goes to see John the Baptist are out in the wilderness, and he goes into the waters, and the heavens open, and the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove. And then in Mark's telling, it says, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. So this divine moment, and it's almost like a message just to Jesus, you are my son, the beloved. Then we have the transfiguration in chapter 9, where it says, this is my son. It's almost like in that case, that message of Jesus' identity is not for Jesus, it's for the disciples. Just in case you were still wondering, this Jesus that you've been chosen to follow, this Jesus that you've been with and you've seen him perform miracles and do powerful things and teaching and healing, this is my son. Listen to him. And then at the conclusion of the Gospel of Mark, at the crucifixion, at Jesus takes his last breath and the temple curtain is ripped from top to bottom and the darkness had covered the face of the whole earth. 
in the middle of the afternoon, and then the centurion guard who is there to make sure Jesus is executed says, truly, this is God's Son. God is not subtle. God reveals God's self to us in powerful ways. And in doing so, we see the full nature of God's glory and the identity of His Son, Jesus. So in the transfiguration story, the intended audience is Peter, James, and John. Now, Peter, James, and John are among the first disciples called. I don't know why Andrew is not taken up the mountain with them, but Peter, James, and John are selected. And they're selected to witness Jesus change in appearance, which is sort of, hey, pay attention, but more importantly, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Now, why is that instruction, that imperative, listen to him, so important? Well, if you frame it in the larger discussion or or narrative of Mark, in chapter 8, Jesus has a discussion with his disciples. He says, after all we've done, town to town, proclaiming the kingdom, healing people, feeding multitudes, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah coming back, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says to the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, who often speaks before he thinks, says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yes, you finally get it. Even if it's a moment a moment of understanding. They get the right answer. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that God promised. He is the one to redeem and restore Israel. And it's almost like they get part one of the question right. And then Jesus goes on and says, here's what the Son of Man is going to do. He's going to undergo great suffering and death on the cross, and on the third day he rose again, to which Peter says, it can't be so, and he rebukes Jesus. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So if you recall from the reading of the gospel, it says six days later, chapter 9, verse 2, six days after they had that encounter where Peter initially gets the right answer and then gets totally wrong what Jesus' mission in the world is going to be. And so for six days, it's like Jesus is plotting, how can I make a dramatic moment a faith formation moment that they will never forget because they're not, they get part one, they're not getting part two, which is what is the Messiah's mission in the world, which is to go to the cross, to give himself in suffering and death for the salvation of the world. And so they have this moment, this transfiguration moment. Now, Truth be told, Peter, James, and John have done nothing prior to this to demonstrate that they were better or more faithful than any of the other disciples. And in fact, even after this, Peter, James, and John distinguish themselves not at all. Just in the, after the transfiguration story, as, as they've had this moment, it says, this is my son, listen to him. And he says, the son of man must undergo great suffering and death and on the third day rise again. What James and John start arguing about is, 
which one of us is the greatest? Because they like the idea of, of Jesus being seated at the right hand of God and, and sort of the throne and having the power go, well, which one of us is number two? Because that sounds like a pretty good gig. So they still don't get it. Peter abandons Jesus, denies knowing him. So this idea of faith formation, which I think the transfiguration is, is a moment designed to prepare and equip the disciples to carry on the work of Jesus, it doesn't solve it, but it solidifies and begins to build upon their gifts, their strengths, their capacity, their potential. And it's that way in our life too. Not one of us, when we have these God moments, and I hope you've had a few, these God moments where everything, everything seems to line up, everything, everything seems to be a very clear sign from God that you are not only loved, but that you have a calling, a purpose in this life. Hang on to those moments, those mountaintop moments. We don't get to stay there. We have to go back down as we serve and love and give ourselves to one another. But the disciples don't always get it, and it's an ongoing process. But they're shaped, continually shaped by Jesus in order that they might be ready for their own calling. And each of the disciples, each of them will follow Jesus. They follow him to the cross, because that's where Jesus leads him. It doesn't lead him to a, a, a crown of glory or riches or fame. Jesus' journey leads him to the cross. It leads him to a place of suffering and death, a place that he himself initially does not want to go, but that is the calling upon him. But he goes there knowing that God's plan, God's plan of salvation is achieved. And the message for the disciples, and I think for us, is that, yes, life in the valley, the everyday life that we go through, is filled with challenges and hardship and suffering. But we do so knowing the end of the story. We don't have to be succumb to despair or lose hope or faith, because as we journey, we know that Christ is with us and that in that process, if we can hold on to hope as we move through those things, we can become more and more faithful. And we can show up for others who struggle in their path. We can show up with and for each other. So a question for you, what has shaped you? If the story of the transfiguration is primary a, sto a story about how Jesus helped shape and form the disciples so that they could live out their gifts, their calling to build up the church, what are the things that God has used to shape you? And maybe it's a mountaintop moment, or maybe it's a valley of struggle and suffering. But with Christ with us, whether it's on the mountain or in the valley, we can be shaped and molded into people of hope, people of love and grace and mercy. So may the Spirit continue to lead us and direct our path, and may we always hold fast to hope. Amen.